Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. There was a time I was so afraid. So scared. I wanted In looking back I can see All the mistakes That I made And I wish That I Could talk to me And tell me I can change Don't be afraid Just walk With your Welcome to Blog Talk Radio Safe Recovery. This is Monica Richardson, and I am your host. Today is April 9th, 2019. I am very, very happy to bring on founder of EVO Health and Wellness, Karush Rasik. And um, we are, let me just tell you a little bit about him. But first, I want to talk about that music that just played, because I know some of you who've left AA, but it's time for new music. So I reached out to somebody, and uh, we're going to change the music, hopefully by the time I do another show. Okay, uh, Karush, let's talk a little bit about Karush. So he has an amazing outpatient clinic, and it's in Venice, on right off of, I guess it's just one block west of Rose, on Sunset, and let's talk a little bit about him. So Karush is in MMFT is the founder. Um, having confronted addiction in his own life, Karush founded EVO Health and Wellness with the vision to break the stigma around mental health and create a world of healthier people, families, and communities. As a trained therapist, Karush integrates a humanistic approach and mindfulness into his therapy and coaching work. At the Matrix Institute on Addictions, Karush specialized in working with young adults dealing with drugs, alcohol, and addiction issues. As Director of Mindfulness at Alternatives Behavioral Health, he helped develop a program to support clients to successfully adopt their desired lifestyle, whether abstinence or moderation. Karush holds a Master's in Marriage and Family Therapy and a Bachelor of Science in Public Policy and Management from the University of Southern California. He has undergone extensive training in multiple therapeutic approaches, including assertive community reinforcement approach, ACRA, Community Reinforcement Approach, Community Reinforcement and Family Training, which is CRAFT, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, also known as CBT, 
dialectical behavior therapy, DBT, mindfulness-based relapse prevention, mindfulness-based stress reduction, motivational interviewing, and numerous meditation and mindfulness techniques. Wow, that's a lot of good stuff. Karush has a love for biking, surfing, meditation, and yoga. He has a five-year-old son who also keeps him learning and growing. And without further ado, we'll bring on Karush. Hello, Karush. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Monica. Thanks for having me. Mm, my pleasure. So that's a lot of other training, all that other uh, approaches that, you know, I didn't realize you had all that other training. Fantastic. Yeah, uh, you know, I, to be honest, I was privileged to be able to uh, to go above and beyond what the requirements were for the MFT licensure track. And early on, one of my supervisors suggested to me that, uh, you know, the, the key to longevity and helpfulness in this field is to get a diverse um, and robust foundation in training. And that mm-hmm. you better get that training as soon as you can, because once you get busy, you're going to be really busy. So right, um, right. I took that advice. I'm really glad I did. I, I, I think I use a little bit or a lot of all of those different approaches. It's been a while since I've heard that whole list. I was like, wow, that, that is a lot. Um, and there's a yeah. lot more since then. So it's, uh, this is, uh, I, I often say, if, if I believe and if I'm doing the same thing, 10 years from now that I'm doing today, um, I may no longer be helping my clients. And in fact, I may be hurting them because I'm not integrating new ideas and new approaches and, uh, and on the cutting edge of how we as human beings get along in this world. Yes. And so I'm putting down two questions that I want to get to at the end, like what are the training we can talk about in the plant-based options. But I want to talk about um, first a little bit so that people who don't know you can get to know you, right? And so if we could start out with, um, I, I know that your approach is not the standard AA treatment approach, and if you can tell us what makes your approach different. Uh, besides that, you know, we just read all this. So the people that know about all the other things like craft and CBT, but let's we'll pretend that maybe some people don't understand the difference. So uh-huh. what is the difference between yours and the standard? So that's, there, there's a lot of differences, but it's a, at our core, um, the approach that I take to supporting folks that are struggling is rooted in identifying um, what role uh, is that behavior playing in their lives? What adaptive role is it playing? I don't start with even considering and conceptualizing this person's uh, presentation. Somebody comes in and says, um, I'm here because I drink a lot and I get in all sorts of trouble because of that. Or people tell me that I need to stop. Mm-hmm. Uh, my thinking doesn't start with, oh, yes, drinking is a problem. The way that you're drinking is a problem. My first mm-hmm. thought is this drinking is a solution. This is solving uh, some riddle of life for this individual. Um, and the, the key, the solution is not in the drinking. The solution is in the riddle that's being solved by the drinking. Um, and so that's one of the key features that sets me and Evo apart from uh, traditional treatment is that mm-hmm. we, don't, we don't conceptualize that, there's, that the problem, that's, and I even hesitate to use that word, uh, yeah. the presentation is the problem. 
um, there's something that's really hurting this person. There's something that's really difficult in this person's life. Mm-hmm. And they're solving that with their behavior. Uh, and, of course, the pain is big enough, the problem is big enough, that the solution needs to be quite large. And then the solution presents a whole host of new problems. Um, to continue with the drinking idea, things like uh, DUIs or trouble at work or trouble in relationships or uh, toxicity in the body, um, really painful hangovers. But then, of course, that's all new pain that needs pain relief. So that's, that's where the, the proverbial treadmill uh, begins to spin. Um, and this mm-hmm. person is now stuck on, in a really difficult place. One of the things, I mean, the way I found your place was that I, I went to a smart recovery meeting that was held there on a Saturday morning, and I couldn't believe the space. I thought it was so beautiful and so uh, unique and different uh, from any other place that I had ever been in. The, and not that I've been in a ton of you know outpatient places, mm-hmm. but it just had a great vibe, and so I went and then saw you. But then it was your literature as well. You had this like beautiful postcard. And it, what it had said was, like, we meet you... Like we, we're, like where you're at, you don't. Oh well, no! Here is the one. You don't have to stop to start with one, and we'll respect where you are right now and where you're going. And so there wasn't this. Oh, you have to like stop first before I'm willing to even talk to you. Never, you know what I mean? So could you talk about that? Yeah. Yeah, and so there, there has been uh, an evolution in the broader treatment world. It wasn't that long ago where if somebody became desperate enough to ask for help. And that's a really big step. We don't live in a world in which asking for help is necessarily easy. And the stigma around addiction is so significant that asking for help related to uh, addiction is even harder than the typical problem might be. Mm -hmm. Um, So not that long ago, uh, asking for help included literally signing a contract that said, as part of my promise to enter this tra- uh, treatment, I promise to stay away and be abstinent, and I, uh, I consent to drug testing, and, uh, and mm-hmm. if I am found to use, I am a candidate for disqualification from this treatment. I will be kicked out. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're thankfully away from that. Uh, but where we now reside is like some sort of a three-strikes rule. All right? and so we've evolved to that place of, okay, well, we're not going to kick you out right away. Um, but you're here to learn how to not use these substances, and, and behaviors apply as well, but we'll just speak about substances to keep it simple, so things mm-hmm. like sex or um, devices or gaming or porn or, or food, things like that. There's really no difference. Work, for that matter. Uh, it's when a, when a behavior or a substance is serving a secondary need as opposed to their original intention. So... So thankfully we've gotten there, but I still don't understand that. If folks could, um, they've already got lots of people in many cases. Some people are quite isolated, but a lot of people have lots of people that are caring and supportive and they want to help them. And they tell them that, you know, come on in and I'll, I'll help you through this problem and so forth. And if they could solve their riddle with that sort of care or compassion or structure or support, well, then they would already do it. Uh, right. We never ask folks to stop. I don't want to see people get hurt. I don't want them to get hurt because of their use. Uh, mm-hmm. But I also respect that if they didn't have to use, they wouldn't use. So right. um, at our core, 
we start with, and one of the things you mentioned about the, the vibe at Evo, I'm really glad that, that you felt comfortable there and you felt mm-hmm. that it was a welcoming place because it is a welcoming place. Um, mm-hmm. It sort of starts with folks that are really deep in it and having a really, really tough time. Um, we encourage them to just come over. We'll pay for the lift. We'll, we'll get them uh, a, a ride. We'll go pick them up if we can, and we will take care of them. Come be safe. Come be in a place where you can be drunk, you can be high, you can be angry or sad, uh, you can be alone or you can be comforted. We'll hydrate you. We will get you medical attention if you need it. Uh, we will get you lawyers if you need it. Whatever it is, uh, let us be a part of the community. And so the, the facility starts as a community facility. Um, yeah. And somebody doesn't necessarily even have to be a, a formal uh, client. That if somebody just even contacts us and says, Hey, I'm thinking about getting help, and they're drunk, and I'm like, Okay, great, why don't you just chill out? Let me just take care of you. So that's where it starts. If we find that folks are not able to show up because they're so intoxicated, uh, and what I mean by show up here is uh, participate in their uh, sessions and in the activities, then we begin a conversation with them around what's it like uh, to be in the world in a way that. Uh, that you can't participate in the things that you maybe want to. And what I find is that if we, if we just continue to deal with our own anxiety as clinicians around the plight of our clients and stay with them where they are, people come around. They will show yeah. up a little bit less drunk, and then they will <laughs> show up a little bit less high. Or they will show up when, you know, unfortunately bad things sometimes happen and and then they sort of have this added layer of motivation, but they will certainly go to the place that welcomed them in their pain, as opposed mm-hmm. to the place that said, I'm sorry, let me get you a ride home. Go, yeah. go sleep this off, go do whatever. Um, mm-hmm. But if people do show up and they're drunk or high, but they're able to participate, we allow them to participate. Uh, we recognize that they're, they're impaired, and so we don't necessarily expect folks to internalize everything, uh, mm-hmm. but we believe, I believe, that at a nervous system level, um, they feel they're building trust and they're building safety. And the solution mm-hmm. to addiction, in my opinion, is trust. The solution mm-hmm. to addiction is connection. Um, and connection is rooted in trust. If I don't trust you, it doesn't matter how good a clinician you are. Right. I'm not going to connect with you. There's no tricks in any of those manuals that you listed or any other one that will allow a clinician to develop trust with somebody other than Mm -hmm. being trustworthy and helping somebody else learn to trust. And that's a really difficult thing for a lot of folks. So here are some ways that we are really different. And and this idea of you don't have to stop to start uh, is really rooted in that. I have clients that I've worked with that at no point, Did we ever reach a place of stopping? But they did resolve the struggle that they were having. In many cases, they did stop using just because that didn't really fit in their life anymore. Right. Uh, But it wasn't because we decided to stop. It was that life just got better. Um, Life got better. They they were able to begin to manage. And then in other cases, it's really, really difficult. Um, And you just stay with it and stay with it. Well, it's really fascinating. I I did a show I've been doing a couple with this friend of mine, Danny, who's worked in treatment and experienced treatment herself. 
and um, you know she was really abused, and she talks about the abuses that go on, and wound up in you know with bad sober living, and uh, she knows the difference between like say a good real clinic. There are some in Florida, and then she wound up here, worked and was in treatment here. The level of um, what is it disrespect, you know, towards the client, and uh, it's like like talking to two different worlds, right? And there's so few of these places here, you know, and I found your place and you there, you know, again, uh, in Venice, I was so, uh, like, it was just like this huge breath of fresh air because of my work of, you know, seeking out this and exposing the bad and then trying to build um, that all this other good stuff that is helping people because the other is not and is now killing them, you know, on top of it being not a good thing anymore. It might have been once 80 years ago, but um, there's so many great things that you just said. So I want to talk about there's a level of professionalism also, and this is a big difference with the stuff that Danny experienced here, whereas you have, you know, two degrees, like you went to USC, like you're not just an ex-stepper with 10 years and you have a six-month certificate, right? Um, You have this, and you also have um, a psychiatrist that you refer to who is a very... A compassionate, warm person that is, you know, grounded in this century. You know, not some old dude who's like grounded in the last century of psychiatry. Um, you have a PhD who works as, you know, who's another therapist there. You have a doctor if somebody needs to make sure they're okay. You're a supportive of medication if somebody needs to take medication uh, once they're willing to quit and uh, or when they want to stop but they actually can't stop. So you want to talk about your your team a little bit? Yeah, so yeah, that that was amazing. Uh, we do have some amazing people um, that are in and around our orbit. Um, so the the idea is when somebody comes in, um, the first contact that they will have is with me. Every time, I will take every single phone call for people that are seeking help. Um, and when and if and when we are still a company that's trying to establish ourselves as a business, as a as from the helping side, we've been. Uh, succeeding in, in meeting our outcomes. Uh, and when we grow enough that I can't handle all of the calls, it'll be the next most senior person that will mm-hmm. take all of the calls. And the reason for that is we start with the idea that says, this is when people are at their most vulnerable. This is when they are at their most um, needy in terms of a, somebody that really knows what they're doing. And so that's the call. That's, that's a call that doesn't make any money. But that's the most important call from a treatment perspective. That's where mm-hmm. you start with uh, whether this person uh, internalizes an idea that they're, they're screwed up, that they're bad, broken, defective, whatever it is, or that they're another human being trying to make it in this world. Um, and it's really, really particularly tough for them. And if they've already internalized some of the other ideas that are out there, can begin to stand against that. Now, if once we get beyond that and if what we do and if, if the conversation with me makes sense, the next step is in developing a full uh, assessment battery. We want to know what's happening. So there's a medical evaluation. There's a psychiatric evaluation. There is a psychosocial assessment, a psychological evaluation. Um, and then there's a series of just sessions that we go through to paint a broader picture of what is happening, what's happening biologically, what is happening emotionally, what's happening cognitively, um, 
so that we are not we, we we intentionally get away from oh we know what your problem is. The moment the phone rings, uh, there's folks out there that that sort of know. They know what addiction is. They know what the solution is. In that sort of an approach, what's missed is the individual. And I don't think it's that simple. Um, and then we try to hire uh, and, and and I actually had a client. Uh, there's a client that uh, summed it up best. Uh, he said, if you get the best people, then they will hire the best people. So he talked about it in terms of A caliber people, then they will also hire and train other A caliber people. But if you hire B caliber people, they're likely going to hire C and D caliber people. And to be honest with you, I don't necessarily know what that means. <laughs> I'm not a business guy, uh, but I, I think it, I understood it to mean you, you've got to hire the best. Uh, and what does the best mean? Uh, it means people that, uh, that come with uh, not just certificates and degrees, um, but folks who also see human uh, behavior from a relational and a compassionate perspective, folks that are doing their own work at a level that they're able to withstand the march that is so common and almost inevitable when you work in a very high-stress environment, that march towards rigidity. If my folks are having a tough time, and I find this, this happens to me all the time, where mm-hmm. I'm really, really afraid for somebody. They're, they're engaged in really high-risk behavior, and their substance use is potentially life-threatening. Mm-hmm. It's really easy for me in my mind to go, I really ought to tell this person they got to stop, right? Um, mm-hmm. Or I, I, can't, I can't help this person. I need to get them to a higher level of care or something like that. And, of course, if it's appropriate, we do that. However, that's me being scared. Mm-hmm. And if I were to go back and go, okay, what is the real solution? The real solution to this is hanging in there, making sure that we do everything we can to keep them safe, to be really honest and say, this stuff is really scary. What's mm-hmm. happening with you is absolutely scary. How do I, is, does it scare you, for example? It's a great question. Yeah, to ask yeah. right. right? And, <laughs> and so now we can, uh, we can be in this together and fight against the problem that is terrifying together. We do. We really do try to to hire folks and to bring in. Uh, we have a physician that does physicals. We have a, we have a couple of different psychiatrists. Our psychiatrists are more oriented uh, towards using medication um, as a tool rather than as a solution. Medications are not a solution. If they were, alcohol would have been the solution to begin with. Uh, right. But they're not. Uh, it's, but they are sometimes really valuable tools to help folks who are really, really trying to get away from patterns of behavior or give their nervous system a break, somebody that's super nervous. The nervous system yeah. could use a little break, and so medications can help. But if we rely on those in the long term, psychiatrists that just sort of think, oh, I've diagnosed it, here's, here's the medication, they're not doing the, the appropriate service for their clients. The, the next statement is now, how do we attend to the anxiety so that this medication is no longer necessary? Or how do we come up with a variety of things so that you can take care of yourself in a variety of ways and the medication is always available to you if and when you need it? As opposed to, here's your script, go exercise, eat well, get some sleep, um, which, which is unfortunately too common. 
Yeah, yeah, and on that note, like I know, you know, people who've worked with, I've been, I met the psychiatrist Eva, who you work with, and also that there are some tools, like say if somebody were to use antabuse and gabapentin to start, that the person is, it's not like throwing uh, like even anxiety meds on them, because neither of them are, right? Antabuse is, and I right. thought that was like this antiquated drug, and I found out by listening to another show that I wound up being interviewed on um, from a guy with Dr. Willenbring up in, um, uh, I think it's Minnesota, you know, that part of the, and he's been at it for like 30 years, talked about some people need that help, some people can't just go straight to moderation. Like they can't even do, right. you do a taper, you know, like a beer taper and then a Librium taper and, and then, you know, they still can't, you know, they still need it. And so it was, it was really interesting to, you know, be a little more educated and to see that there are things that um, can help that aren't uh, a quick fix, but that are. Like, not this is a tool, and that how important um, diet or adding in, um, you know, some juicing really can be with really beautiful. Well, we're luck- lucky here in California to have companies like Press Juicery and stuff that uh, even myself have used it and, you know, don't get that crash in the afternoon that I know other people who, when they were coming off alcohol, found that really helpful. And on that note, I want to talk about some of the things that you do that are that are not uh, medicine-based, but that I see helpful to people, uh, especially when um, somebody is trying to change their behavior and they have that horrible negative self-talk and they're beating themselves up and they see these terrible things about themselves when they're drunk, that um, I noticed in a person that I know that there was this huge shift um, with even when they were drunk that they started to use a tool that you were teaching, and was this in your mindfulness? Like, uh, if you could address that, of what your is it in the meditation, yeah. mindfulness, uh, guided thing? Can you talk about that? How you can help a person even when they're still, um, you know, on substances? Yeah, so that that's what we started our conversation with, and this is at the core of all of the different aspects of the treatment that we deliver, whether it's our variety of different groups or individual sessions or somatic or movement or breath work, all of them, all of the practitioners hold this one piece and other things as well, but this is a central core piece, which is the way we think about folks. We, I, I, don't, I just don't think of somebody that's drunk or using or entangled in any sort of a substance or behavior as, as doing it wrong, doing something mm-hmm. bad. I just mm-hmm. don't think that way. It just is never that way. This is, to me... This is self-care. It's, it's ugly, or it can be really ugly. It can be really hurtful to the self and to others. Uh, it can be deadly. So I'm not suggesting that this is the, the solution that I would recommend, but this right. is nonetheless the solution that is being utilized by folks. It's the reason that I or the most senior person available will always take that initial call with somebody. Uh, often people call when they're high or drunk and they're in trouble. Somebody say, you call now or some really terrible thing will happen. You're going to go to jail or I'm going to leave you or you're going to lose your kids or uh, get kicked out of school or, or whatever it is. Um, and so it's about standing against that. Uh, people say things like, you know, I really screwed up. And, and my question is, and, and the way that I speak about this is around value. Somebody has a value of of honoring their word to somebody else, that being, being responsible or having, being able to keep their promises um, that to people when they say, I, and to themselves, 
I'm not going to drink today or I'm not going to use today. Um, they also have a value of taking care of themselves, their pain. And so this battle is happening for somebody in the morning. Um, and so they are going through their morning. There's a part of them that's saying, this is unbearable. I can't do this. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is, um, this, this feelings of not belonging, this feelings of not having a purpose or worth, uh, being overwhelmed by aspects of life, the actual hangover or the withdrawal from the substances, all of these things combine, and there's a part of them that's saying, we need help, and we know where the help is. It's in a bottle or it's in a bag or it's in a whatever. Right. Then there's another part of them that's saying, yeah, but we don't want to do that. We're going to disappoint ourselves and everybody else again. And so this battle happens. For most people, they win the battle literally hundreds of times before they succumb. And they may succumb at 7.30 or 8 o'clock in the morning, but the battle started at 4 o'clock or 5 o'clock in the morning. Some yeah. people succumb at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, etc. So the beginning of it is to really begin to uh, change the languaging to what part of you uh, does this, does this use serve? Why did you drink? Not if, if it wasn't a problem, why did you drink? If it's not a problem, why did you use? The other thing that I actually do, and I think this is a really important thing for all clinicians to do, is in the first couple of contacts by phone and in person, is to make a, an assessment of the function of the nervous system. What do I mean when I say that? Well, what I mean is we have to look to see if the tone of voice seems to match up with the content of what they're saying, if the eye contact seems to follow appropriately given the shame levels and the relational struggles that the person has, is the posture of the body and the, mm. the, the way the story unfolds, does it all fit? And if it does, that means this person's nervous system is working properly. It's, it's firing correctly. And if somebody is using substances in ways that don't necessarily make a lot of sense or they don't seem to make a lot of sense within the context of a healthy working nervous system, well, then their use is reasonable or rational in some way. I just don't know in what way yet. And they may not even know because they haven't thought of that. Mm-hmm. And I will often say that. I will tell people that, you know, I noticed that your nervous system seems to be working okay. When you told me the story about last night and when, when you were telling me about the sad parts, your body was slouching and you were exciting parts. You looked like you were going to jump out of the couch and your eye contact and your posture and all of those things seemed to match up. So your nervous system seems to be working quite well. If that's the case, then your use must have been the right decision. It may not be the decision you want to keep making, but it's the right decision given the options you have today. That kind of languaging seems to make a big difference. I think that's right there is the secret sauce. The real secret sauce is people have to begin to believe that. You can't fake it. If you, you can't say things like that, if internally you're thinking, I know what you really need to do. You need to you know, quit drinking, go to meetings, sobriety is the way, you have a disease, all of those kinds of things. Correct. There are people who believe those things. There are people who would benefit from that. If that's what you believe, then that's how you need to work. That's the only way to really help people is to be congruent to who you are. People that are struggling in this world, they're taking care of themselves 
in the way that addiction presents. These are people that have also been hurt by the world. They have really great, well-tuned radars. They can spot bullshitters because they've had to spot that their entire lives. And so they may play along because they have to. Um, But there's a part of their nervous system that's like, oh, you're you're not the one that's going to be able to help me out because what you're telling me and what, what I pick up inside of you just don't seem to match up. That's a lot, so I'll sort of pause to see if it, did that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that it's uh, one big. Well, I mean, the other, and the other thing that um, I've, actually I was really thinking of some people that I know when you were talking about that, like when say something good happens to somebody, and mm-hmm. they tell you about it, and then you go, "Oh, well, that's great," but then their affect isn't there right like so they're actually not really excited about what they just told you like with their tone Mm -hmm. of their voice and their body language and you're like wow that's like really great but you don't like really seem happy about that right it'd be almost like oh i just got a check for you know whatever and if i said oh yeah i just got a check for you know thousands of dollars Mm -hmm. yeah off that is right that's what you're talking about right yeah exactly if it's uh especially if they say something like, yeah, I just won the lottery. I won $100,000. Isn't that great? Uh, and But then their body is slouching, right? It's like, mm-hmm, well, wait, mm-hmm. it's, my nervous system is going, or the tone of voice just didn't make sense. So I'll say, so, you know, when, when you said that, uh, I was a little bit confused. It seemed like you were trying to tell me something was really exciting. But then your tone of voice and your body were communicating something different. What I'm trying to do at this point there's no more sort of uh, going forward with uh, other kinds of assessments. We have to kind of get a sense of what's happening at the nervous system level, right? Somebody comes in and says, you know, I was on my way to, uh, to Evo and I parked across the street. When I was crossing the street, the car almost hit me. Isn't that great? Right. I'm like, (laughs) no, that's not great. There's nothing great about that. Um, So what is it about that, that you feel like what's happening here? And we begin to talk about that sort of um, incongruence in that presentation, and if, if you do find, and it's very, very rare, actually, it's not that frequent. The kind of thing with not being happy enough uh, about a thing that happened, sometimes that's rooted in um, sort of fatalistic thinking. Well, but I'm going to lose all that money anyway. Or mm-hmm. it's maybe rooted in just not having much capacity uh, for feeling joy. Uh, that could have been taken away uh, really early in life. Um, mm-hmm by parents that were overburdened or stressed, or in some cases even parents that weren't trying to do their best. But nonetheless, they, they didn't know how to celebrate with their kids. And so mm-hmm. celebration um, was met with pain. All right? I got an A on my test. You, it's not time to celebrate. You have to get into Yale, even though you're four years old, right? That kind <laughs> of thing, that kind of drive. It can, right, right, it right. Can, I'm not saying that's going to. The, we don't know, but it could. The, the idea as a clinician for me is to just remain curious, to see what I'm noticing, and to stay curious about where did that come from, um, and what role does it play, and does it even bother the person, right? It may not mm-hmm. make much sense to me, but what if the person's response is, yeah, you know, I, I think people celebrate too much. Um, channel some Ann Rand from the, the 80s, you know, or even before that. That's, when I read that, you know, this idea that people celebrate too many little things, right? Um, so that's, 
I may not agree with that, but that may not be a problem. This may be actually for the person a very uh, a congruent response based on their own value system. Wow. But if not, we need to att- attend to that. That becomes more of a medical psychiatric issue for folks who are who are literally misfiring, who are who are at risk of you know stepping in front of a car because the nervous system is not sending the appropriate signal that says, get out of the way of the car. I think one of the things that we have done in the war on drugs and in the way that we have pathologized use is that we have taken folks that use appropriately to deal with the hardness of life, and we have lumped them in and said, their nervous system is not working properly. Right, so otherwise they wouldn't have shot up. They wouldn't have put themselves at risk of overdose. They know uh-huh. they could have overdosed, but but uh, why is it that they would shoot up again? Uh, why is it that they would do that to themselves again? There must be something wrong in their nervous system. It's actually not true. It's not true because a lot of people resolve that. They do that, right. and then the next day they don't. Mm-hmm. Um, so what happened to the nervous system? If it was, did it did it spontaneously heal? And if so, let's get into that secret sauce. Let's figure out how to make that happen. Um, so it doesn't really hold water. It yeah, and that's a really good time. To, right, right. That is a perfect time to say. So, how do you define addiction? So it's self care. Addiction is the natural consequence of people taking care of themselves in the best way available. Um, or possible to them. So in, in many cases, in most cases, um, use starts in early adolescence. And adolescence now, with the interconnectivity of the world, starts um, at 9 or 10 years old. It's no longer 13 or 12. Uh, kids at 8, 9, and 10. And, and by the way, I think adolescence now lasts well into the 30s and 40s even. If you think about uh, what adolescence might mean in terms of uh, you know, our Western way of thinking. Um, yeah. So somebody is in pain or somebody is shy or they're, they're a part of a group. And, uh, you know, people try things. Uh, it's actually healthy for kids to try substances and um, relationships and subjects right. and sports mm-hmm. and hobbies and crafts and arts and all of these things. As a way of this in spirituality or, or non-spirituality, as a way of getting a sense of what makes sense to them and how are these things going to be a part of their life or not. Mm-hmm. But for other people, it serves a secondary benefit. They get a certain social need met. They get away from a certain kind of pain. They get a. They are able to numb themselves or awaken themselves in some way, um, and that becomes a thing that they now rely on over time. And so much so, and one of the key things that happens, happens throughout our lives, but it particularly happens in that adolescent period, that's the time, and Maya Salavis speaks about this, that's a time when we are supposed to be learning how to deal with difficult uh, aspects of life, relationships, how to, how to overcome obstacles. Right. So right. the learning that occurs is that my solution is in this substance or in this behavior. Uh, people don't turn to that in lieu of going through it. The great majority of people who don't have too much pain 
go through and they figure it out. Uh, but for those people who are just the glass is full already, these mm-hmm. new challenges are just too much. And mm-hmm. they pick up substances, and so they learn. And then they do that. And what happens over time is that becomes the way that they, uh, they, address, they deal with their needs. And then it, living in a world then pathologizes that behavior. The first question I ask parents that I work with often is, I don't, don't tell me about your kid's use. Tell me about the reasons you think they're using. Most of the time, unfortunately, I get things like, uh, because he doesn't care, because she's lazy, because she's, she's just has bad friends. And I'm like, well, wait, wait, wait. These are all, these are name calling. Let's get away from that. If it was, if your kid's use made sense, why would they use? And that's the work I go through with parents. Well, we, these kids don't live in that world most of the time. So here they right. have a lot of pain. Then they pick up substances as a way of dealing with that pain. And now they're given more pain because people are saying, that's really bad. You ought to not really do that. You're, you're a trouble kid. So now they have more pain. And now you see how it perpetuates and it gets into trouble. And that leads to addiction. So to me, addiction is, is self-care that somebody in a lot of pain has to poison themselves or put themselves at great risk just to get through the day. So my job in treating addiction is to try to help that person not need to poison themselves or put themselves at that kind of risk and to watch that, that drive towards the substance just melt away, which is exactly what I see most of the time. Yeah, yeah, that's what uh, I've seen and, um, you know, heard from other people who've worked with you. Can you talk about, like, so the different levels of care? I'm going to just speak sort of out there to people who are listening. Um, we're speaking to founder Karush Rashik, right? Is it Rashik, the right way I'm saying Rashik, it? Rashik, yeah. Rashik. And um, he created EVO Health and Wellness, and it is uh, outpatient in Venice, California, which is considered also West Los Angeles. It's right near Santa Monica. And um, so could somebody come, like, is it every day, all day long, three times a week? Like, what would what would a program, like, what do you have there as far as? Yeah, so, uh, you know, the way that we work, uh, the approach, um, the, some of the things we don't do, uh, all of these things uh, make it so that we don't qualify for any sort of insurance reimbursement. Secondarily, uh, my own values around, how you make decisions for somebody's treatment um, don't fit in with the insurance reimbursement cycle. The part that's really difficult for me is I really want to be able to honor people's desire to use the insurance that they pay for. Um, I mean, it's money spent and and it really, it's terrible that we can't figure out a way to do that. But what that allows us is the freedom to be able to develop treatment for folks in, in ways that are most appropriate for them instead of fitting them into prepackaged ideas that fit into insurance reimbursement schedules. So what does that mean in terms of what, the, what can somebody get? Evo opens its doors around 9 a.m. every day and closes its doors between 7 and 9.30, 10 p.m., five days a week. And we're also open part of the Saturdays and soon, hopefully, also on Sundays. We offer groups daily, two groups every day with different topics. Um, I run most of the groups, uh, and then other clinicians, some of the folks that you mentioned, run the rest of the groups. And there's process groups, there are 
movement groups, somatic groups, etc., are all designed um, to to help folks deepen a sense of uh, self-compassion, understanding of oneself, and to explore possibilities. Really focused around ideas around belonging, purpose, worth, dignity, uh, culture, and heritage, rather than uh, disease and addiction and sobriety and things like that. We mm-hmm. we attend to all of those as well, but it's really more about the the former. And then there are individual sessions. So when somebody comes in, we can develop a fully customized program for them. What does that mean? Uh, in some cases, uh, folks will, will prefer groups uh, versus individual work. And so they can do 10, 12 groups a week, as much as that. They can also be at our facility from the moment we open to the moment we close the doors uh, and have offices or, or tabletops to work, join us for lunch, um, we give them internet and, and whatever sort of office or, or academic supplies so that they can do their stuff. So it's a real community place in that way. Then um, we also add in individual work um, with all of the various clinicians to the extent that they uh, want or need them. So if somebody really wanted uh, and to use languaging that's familiar to people out there, we can offer a PHP, which is essentially an all-day partial hospitalization program, all the way down to individual therapy, which is an hour a week. Mm-hmm. Once we determine what the, um, what the appropriate level of intervention is, you know, we, we have to always remember that even though it's treatment and therapy, it still does impose stress on the people's lives, time, traffic, cost, time away from family, kids, all of those things. So we want to develop a program that, that addresses the needs without imposing too much stress. Mm-hmm. At that point, we come up with a price that works, um, and we move forward. Uh, we, have, we, we don't get any sort of public funding or any uh, sources of, of financing. Um, and to this day, I, I'm proud to say that I've never turned anybody away who wanted to be a part of the program for the financial ability to pay. So we've always been able to negotiate something that works, and the goal is to continue to be able to do that. Well, you know, it's so sad because uh, I'm just as a part of what I've gone through personally in my own life and my own family and then the research of wanting to make another film that's going to deal with rehab and sober living and treatment in America um, was that this box has to be checked uh, that people are using AA or insurance to pay and was really kind of horrified that um, I mean I thought I knew everything about the involvement of that program um, with our insurance companies, but I didn't know it until I had a psychiatrist and somebody else who ran a pretty decent um, IOP who, you know, is, is still considers themselves AA, but they're not very, they don't really go anymore, and they have a decent program, but um, that this box has to be checked, and then I was talking to my friend Danny, who was on too, who's, who is an expert on um what do you call it, when, when they bring people in. Uh, and um, I I just can't believe this because I, I know from people calling me and I know from mothers with de- a lot of dead children, right? Uh, my son's age and, you know, I have, I have millennial children and um, that there is this horrible, horrible lack of care out there that it gets paid, paying $1,000 a day. I mean, Carla Brada, who died, who was in my film, was paying $1,000 a day to live in a shitty house in Santa Clarita 
and driven to sober living where there were, you know, uh, violent offenders, you know, attending AA meetings. Like, that was the level of care. Mm-hmm. Um, where Blue, Blue Cross, Anthem Blue Cross paid $1,000 a day. And they right. were not abusing, as far as I knew, a big drug testing scam, which has become a big thing, right? Um, yep. So, I mean, I'm actually, you know, a part of my passion, uh, along with some other people, mothers with these kids who are now gone, and another one died this weekend, a friend of mine who was in one of my groups, her stepson, who was 20 years old, died from alcohol overuse. Oh. It's really sad. And, yeah. You know, a lot of them don't know that places like you exist because there are not a lot of places like yours that exist. You know, you have Practical Recovery down in San Diego that Tom Horvath is, and like I'm, I mean, I even think we should have a website where all of these that are vetted to be really, uh, you know, decent places, that we have to change that you're not going to, like there was a time where chiropractic wasn't covered, right? Where there were, gay people were considered right. to be mentally ill, right? Okay, so like there is right. hope, right? I, I mean, I want to think about that, that there is hope. Because if you were gay once, you were in the DSM-5. Well, maybe some place like yours will be covered by insurance, just like chiropractic care or colonics weren't covered, you know? Um, uh I anyway, so I don't want to get off. We have let's see how much time. So we have about 11 minutes left. So again, for folks who are out there listening, we are talking to Karush Rashik, and it's at EVO Health and Wellness. It's a completely non-12-step place. Um, I want to talk about the things that we didn't. We, we first were, and I wrote it down um, because you said you have even other training um, uh, besides all of these amazing things. You know, besides having your ma- masters in marriage and family, that you're an MFT, and you have a Bachelor of Science in Public Policy, that there are all these other things. So I wanted, there were two things, what other training, and then plant-based medicine, because that has become a big thing for, say, somebody, a close friend of mine, um, in treatment, uh, using the medications for all these years, and then still she suffered from really high-level anxiety, and then really got into the plant-based, really helping her. So you can touch on either one of those. Maybe we could split the remaining time with the other training and then. Yeah, so the, those are the, the main two. One is the, um, the to immersing myself in uh, as a clinician uh, in both the preparation and integration aspects of folks that are uh, considering, contemplating, utilizing plant-based medicine or psychedelics um, as part of their uh, mental health experiment. So there are psychiatrists and there are clinics that, and there are um, clinical trials that are demonstrating that there, there are these powerful elements out there that can have really um, life-changing uh, impact uh, with relatively low risk, um, especially if the screening is done appropriately. Um, and the, likelihood of that experience having the the desired impact is rooted in the preparation and integration work things like mm-hmm. uh what what is it where did you hear about this what do you think it does what do you know about it what are your mm-hmm. intentions going in um right i do know that a lot of folks that i work with and a lot of psychiatrists that i that i that colleagues that refer folks to me who are considering this kind of work now, we live in a world that, that has taught us, the very air we breathe has suggested to us that 
if you have a problem, the solution is in a pill or a bottle or a doctor. And Mm -hmm. so a lot of folks even think about um, experimenting with ketamine or MDMA or psilocybin or LSD or ayahuasca, San Pedro, Iboga, Mm -hmm. Ibogaine. These are all different. Some are considered Schedule One substances here, and people travel out of the country. In other cases, they are now clinically available. There are psychiatrists that have licenses to do a variety of different interventions with ketamine, for example. MDMA is about to become uh, available in that same way for psychiatrists that hold the appropriate license. Um, But if somebody's going in and thinking that they're going to do this thing, and like the bottle of Excedrin, it'll just get rid of their headache, it just won't. Um, That's just not the way they they work. Um, It could, but that's not, that's not where you want to put your money. Um, so it's about really getting clear with what it is that, that you intend. Uh, what is it that you hope to experience? Um, and then to work with folks on the other side around, well, what was it like? What came up? What did it mean? Um, and to really help these experiences. Most often folks come out of these experiences um, with, a, with a pretty significant um, shift. Mm-hmm. And without some work, some ongoing um, effort, those experiences can become memories rather quickly as life sort of flows back in and stress and all of those old patterns, they rear their heads and say, here I am, let's do this. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's one piece that's really important and fascinating and and also speaks to, um, you know, I hear this actually from psychiatrists more than anybody else but they're quite frustrated with their own field um, and what's happening uh, and what's been happening around um, diagnoses and prescription of, of medications and, and how people are not getting better and they're frustrated and, you know, yeah. they've gone through every known uh, mood enhancer and, uh, yeah. and they're still not feeling very good. And so uh, people are turning to these other uh, options and, and finding relief. They're finding meaningful, lasting change. Um, so that's one area that I'm really interested in and, uh, and a place where people can talk about these. And, and we have the training and the education to be able to, the information to be able to talk about what these substances are, how they work, how they're utilized, whether it's what we've seen in clinical trials here in the U.S. or what right. has been done in traditional temples and, and monasteries and, and jungles of other countries and, um, and how they've gathered their information and how we have. And what are the risks? What are the biological risks that you want to be aware of before you go and do something? Uh, for example, is a lot of people are interested in ayahuasca. And ayahuasca is, um, is, can be very powerful um, and helpful. And if somebody has a presentation of significant bipolar, if, if whatever is happening in their life makes them vacillate between high highs and low lows, they could go into a psychotic break, uh, an enduring psychotic break. Um, yeah. So that's a psychosis, and we don't yeah. want somebody to have that, that risk. Uh, and so we're a place that does that. The other area, quickly, is uh, an emerging area around harm reduction. So this is Harm reduction is, um, is the, sort of the most advanced area of addiction treatment right now. Um, you mentioned Tom Horvath in San Diego. Um, mm-hmm. 
he is one of the leaders in this area as well. Um, and it's really um, helping people stay safe, helping people um, and creating alliances with folks that, that around shared goals. Um, mm-hmm. What do I mean by that? Uh, you know, in fact, one of the most, uh, one of the best heroin treatment outcomes happened in the 80s in New York in a program where they didn't treat heroin addiction. It was a, an, one of the early HIV treatment programs, uh, early mm-hmm. in the AIDS epidemic. Mm-hmm. Um, and a group of men who were enrolled in this program to try to fight AIDS, to try to live, yeah. ended up because of their shared goal of uh, dealing with this other thing that was going to kill them, uh, their heroin use went significantly down. There was no heroin treatment. And so harm mm-hmm. reduction is rooted in that concept of, okay, don't stop drinking, uh, but if you don't like dr- drinking and driving, let me align with you around how to provide you the resources so you don't drink and drive. Um, if you are wanting to, you know, so this, this idea of how do we meet you where you are and, and find a common goal that we can work towards as, a port, as, a, as opposed to a, um, an adversarial relationship of I will help you stop doing a thing that you may not be ready to stop. Uh, right. So those right. are the two areas. Psychedelics and harm reduction are two things that, I need to add to that bio that you read. It's, I saw, like, I think it came through your site that there was um, going to be some kind of training, you know, held at Evo. And also there's like twice a month, the psychedelic, I forget the name of it, but it's a group where you can come and learn more about it and, um, you know, hear people talk about uh, just the growth in that world of using plant-based, you know, um, options or hallucinogens for you know a healing process. I mean, I went to the Drug Policy Alliance conference like not mm-hmm. this year, but like the year before, and like the, I went to all these workshops on it and learned so much. I thought it was really fascinating. Uh, mm-hmm. And I just wrote down uh, one of the things. Yes, about Tom Horvath. Uh, this note here. So I have a friend, um, Sally Sanders, who runs a meeting down, a smart recovery meeting down in uh, is it Newport. I think it's down there. And Kaiser gave her a room, and the meeting is just getting bigger and bigger. But one of the things that she had sent out was that Tom had Tom Horvath had sent out a um, like a newsletter that Smart is no longer abstinence based. That they really you know they want to meet yeah. you. And I think that's a big helpful to for have Smart grow because I think until you know I mean some people don't need groups, but that you know until A gets smaller, right? I think people think you know the the majority of Americans think that you need a group right you got to go you got to go to a or you got to go to support you got to go to McDonald's to eat well I don't want to eat at McDonald's right I don't care that it's on every corner you know I'm not going to eat their food mm-hmm. um but that there are these other places uh I will do the best that I can to attract into my life um the people that Marty Mann attracted into her life so that she could do what she did and I I really see mm-hmm. it would like to have that happen for places like you and, and Tom Horvath and all these great people who clinicians who created you know new and different things and um, we have about a minute and a half again I'm talking to Karush who is at who is the founder of EVO Health and Wellness a fantastic place um, anything else that you just would like to say in the last minute well I mean I'd, le- I'd love to say I did not know about Tom's uh, memo to the smart recovery community and I'm I'm really happy to hear that um, uh, he and I have had lots of conversations about that last year. 
um, and, and it, it heartens me. Um, and, you know, it's, uh, it also it's, it supports what we are doing because he's been around and he's so well-respected and established. And, and to anybody that's listening out there, we, we are uh, a small business that's trying uh, to do something that's not the common way. And, and so we will take all of the support that we can get, if they're clinicians or managers or uh, anybody for whom these ideas make sense, uh, please contact me. Um, we would love to be part of a community. I offer trainings um, to anybody that's interested at no cost. Um, I'm happy to, to talk about how we do this work. This, we don't have a shrinking marketplace, unfortunately. Um, mm-hmm. There's lots of people. So giving away this technology is, uh, is part of the ethic so that more people can help more people. And, and let's, let's hope we get to a place where we have to compete uh, with each other. For now, there's, there's enough pain out there. So um, we have a website uh, and, and phone numbers and everything comes right to me. So uh, thank you very much for having me on. Oh, thank you so much, uh, Karush. It's really been a pleasure. Uh, maybe we'll have you on again if you'd like that in the future. Uh, last year I didn't do a lot of sure. shows, but this year I'm doing more and more shows. So I would love to have you on again. And I want to thank everybody out there for listening. And thank you so much for joining me today. I'm Monica Richardson. I am your host on Blog Talk Radio Safe Recovery. And I will see you all next week. Thanks, Karush. Have a great day. Thank you so much, Monica. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.